Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 821 with Hesha Abrams. Hesha has years of experience as a master attorney, mediator, so she has got a boatload of excellent strategies and tactics for navigating conflict, keeping calm, diffusing tensions like a true pro. So you'll learn one, how to actually calm people down in an argument, and it's not by saying calm down. Two, the four-part process to diffuse any situation. And three, the magic phrases that help any conflict. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP821. And if you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, check out some of our goodies like the Golden Nugget email list, though 10 days to winning at work, email course, transcripts, all such goodies over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now, here is Hesha's story. Hesha Abrams is an internationally acclaimed master attorney mediator with a unique talent to manage big egos and strong personalities and a keen ability to create synergy amongst the most diverse personality types, driving them toward agreement. Specializing in crafting innovative solutions for complex or difficult matters, Hesha has resolved thousands of cases in every conceivable area during her career, including over the secret recipe for Pepsi. She coaches executives in politically difficult situations to prevent conflict and speed resolution. Big thanks to Hesha for sharing her wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Hesha. Hesha, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Mm, my pleasure. I'm so excited to hear some of your wisdom about holding the calm, the secret to resolving conflict and diffusing tension. Could you start us with one of the most tense situations, negotiations, mediations you found yourself plunged into and tell us the juicy, dramatic details of the story? Oh, goodness. I have so many. It's hard to choose. But my, the one that people seem to like the most is that I mediated over the secret recipe for Pepsi. Okay. Do you know the secret recipe for Pepsi? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do. <laughs> is it just carbonated water and high fructose corn no, syrup? <laughs> I'm sworn to secrecy. Okay. I'm sworn to secrecy. <laughs> but what's interesting is that the recipe is different in different parts of our country and in different parts of the world. So it, what it really is is a trademark for Pepsi, Coke, things like that. It's really their, their trademark that they have to protect. So they can't allow anybody to use a recipe and then change a trademark and be, let's say, Pakistani poopsie 
tastes like Pepsi. Mm -hmm. And that would be disastrous. And so that was a very juicy, very interesting case. But I've done cases for Google and Facebook and Verizon and Yahoo and NVIDIA and, you know, IBM and Microsoft and, you know, all the major players. And then lots of tens of thousands of individuals trying to find some level of justice. And that's why I joke when you said, you know, share your wisdom. What I want to say is it's battle tested. I have been boots, not only on the ground, but in the trenches of human conflict with blood and guts on my boots. And there's lots of good books out there that talk about theory and philosophy and ideas about resolving conflict. But I wanted to write a tool book. What do I do with my idiot brother-in-law? What do I do with this horrible boss? What do I do with this terrible neighbor or friend or supplier or client? Fill in the blank. What are things you can do right now to improve the situation? And literally, that's why I wrote the book. This shouldn't be for professionals only. This should be for everybody. Well, that's powerful stuff. And Hesha, we can edit this out if we need to. But am I to understand you, you've literally had human entrails on your boots <laughs> in a wartime scenario? Yeah. No, I think I'm being I'm being overly literal, but I like it. Okay, well, Hesha, there's a dramatic story. I think that's the one maybe that we needed to... All right, we'll, we'll see. We should not edit that out. That's terrific. But I have had people spit. Oh, wow. I've had people get into a fist fight. I had two oil men once that were both billionaires fighting over whatever it was, I don't know, $10, $20 million, which is pocket change to them, want to come to blows. And I literally put my body in between them. So things get pretty intense when you're dealing with amygdalas being triggered and bumper car egos and mine, and you are not going to take mine. Well, mine. we act at our <laughs> most caveman, cavewoman best is what we do. All right. And it's normal. Every single one of us, you poke that amygdala enough, people are going to roar. And so the question is, what do you do when someone's poking you? What do you do when you want to poke someone else? How do you get out of it? That's the thing is how do you freaking get out of it? And I have easy tools, easy ways to do it. And I'm so glad your listeners are listening so we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I I'm glad too. So tell us, is there anything that's particularly counterintuitive or that most of us get wrong in our conception of conflict? Yes. And that's a great question. So let me give you an analogy that I use. Spaghetti sauce. Mm -hmm. You drop it on the counter, you take a wet sponge, you wipe it right up. No big deal. You leave it overnight. You're scraping it off of the spatula. You leave it three or four months. It's old and moldy and nasty. And that, my friends, is conflict. And so why don't we just wipe it up when it's wet? That would be so easy. Well, we don't because we're afraid. Mm -hmm. We don't know how. We're afraid it will get worse. We're afraid to know how to handle it. And so we close our eyes ostrich-like and just hope it'll go away and hope it'll get better. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't get better. It just gets old and moldy and nasty, and it finds a way to erupt at the most inopportune times because all conflict, 100% of it starts with tension, every single one, even if it's the silent mm-hmm thing. We just don't notice it because we're not trained, we're not taught, we don't have these holding the calm tools to know how to wipe the spaghetti sauce up when it's wet. So it's harder, it's older and nastier and harder. And 
to stay with the analogies, sometimes people pee in their own bathtub and Mm -hmm. you can't get it out. You got to drain the whole tub. So how can you avoid it? And then how can you drain the tub when you actually need to? So those are analogies between spaghetti sauce and peeing in the bathtub. People aren't going to forget. And now, just to be really clear here, I'm gathering the message associated with the spaghetti sauce in terms of address it quickly. Uh, now, the peeing in the tub, what are we saying there? It's like, <laughs> that, to use another metaphor, I'm thinking it's like, oh, I shot myself in the foot. But maybe you're getting out. It's hard to separate Correct. urine from bath water Correct. once they are intermingled. Okay. Correct. Very Correct. visceral uh, imagery. Thank you. Which means we won't forget it. We'll mm-hmm. think about it now that we can always say, "Ugh, don't put your foot in your mouth, right? But we all do. We're all humans and we do. What do we do to get out of it? Mm-hmm. How do we get out of the doghouse? How do we avoid getting in the doghouse to begin with? That's what this holding the calm stuff is about. And it works with giant CEOs of giant Fortune 100 companies, global conglomerates. You know why? Because those guys and gals have egos just like the rest of us. And they Mm -hmm. want to win and they want to not lose and they want to look good. Just like if you're fighting over a hundred bucks or a hundred million, it's honestly the same thing. Okay. And then maybe before we go into some of the detailed tools, is it a general principle like the spaghetti sauce you recommend we go ahead and address stuff quickly before it becomes extra, like it will have the tendency to grow nastier and more vitriolic over time? Is that the general pattern you see over and over again? Well, it depends. Yes, often that is the case. But a lot of times, just again, I give so many analogies because people will remember the analogies of what we talked about. Let's say there's a bomb in the town square. That guy waddles out in his Michelin suit. He doesn't just start cutting wires. He looks. He diagnoses. Is it a pressure switch? Is it a chemical switch? What is it? And what tends to happen is that we react. We don't diagnose. We don't take a step back. If I'm in conflict with an extrovert, that is going to be a different set of tools than when I'm in conflict with an introvert. Just that simple thing right there. Also, what if somebody is a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learner? That's easy. It's just one, two, three. And if I can give your listeners an example of that, it's paying attention to the verbs. So I see what you're saying. That looks good to me. Somebody's a visual learner. I'm going to use visual cues with them. I hear what you're saying. That sounds right to me. They're an auditory learner. I'm going to speak auditory words to them. Kinesthetic means that you touch and you feel, and they're going to say, I don't get it, or that doesn't feel right to me, or it's not good in my gut. All right, that's a kinesthetic learner. So when I'm talking to them, it's just like a a Samsung versus an iPhone. They're both smartphones but completely different operating systems. So when you're interacting with someone, the first thing you do, like the bomb detector, is you look at them, you listen to them, you let them talk for a minute. And while they're talking, you're listening to content, of course. But I'm going to say to myself, are they introvert or extrovert? And are they visual, auditory, or kinesthetic learner? That's it. Now I have a wealth of knowledge. Which tool am I going to use? Am I going to use a scalpel? Or am I going to use a sledgehammer? Am I going to delay? Or am I going to push? Am I going to deal with feelings and emotions? Or am I going to deal with task, process? It's not hard once you know to look for that. And that's what I go over in holding the calm is the easy, simple ways to be able to do that 
and sentence stems that you can just simply ask, and then people will reveal themselves to you easily. And then when you respond to them in their own operating system, they're not going to say, oh, thank you for noticing that I'm a visual learner and speaking to me in visual words. No, they're just going to go, he gets me. Mm -hmm. She gets it. I feel heard. You know, I can trust her. I can believe in him. He's got integrity. That's what they're going to say. And all it is, is that you met them where they were. You hit them at their frequency and you resonated with them. And all it takes is a few moments of holding the calm, stepping back and diagnosing. And it's incredibly simple. And that's what some of the things that I lay out in holding the calm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so we take a step back, we listen, we diagnose, we see, are they introverted, extroverted? Are they visual, auditory, kinesthetic? And then we just use those types of words, more visually words versus auditory words. And and just like that, we have an extra degree of rapport in the room. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. Sounds easy. (laughs) It honestly is. So there's a corollary story that I wanted to add here. I heard this on NPR's Hidden Brain. There was a couch company that sold bespoke customized couches, twenty dollars and $30,000 for a couch. Custom arms, custom piping, custom fabric, blah, blah. People would go through the process, and a huge percentage of them at the point of sale would not complete the sale. Well, the company was very frustrated. So what do we normally do when we have a problem? I joke that we have flat foreheads because we smash our heads against the wall all the time. So you either have gas in the car or you have a brake. And what we usually do is we do gas. We push forward. So the company did more sales, more promotion, more discount, more marketing, and didn't do anything. Finally, they put on a brake. Remember the the, uh, bomb detector analogy I gave everybody? Stepping back and diagnosing. And they had somebody call all the people that didn't complete the point of sale. The vast, vast majority, do you know why they didn't buy this $20,000 couch? Because they didn't know what to do with the old couch. So the solution now is obvious. When you buy the new one, we take away the old one. But it didn't dawn on them because they hadn't taken the time to diagnose and to find out and to put the brakes on. That's a huge, beautiful example of holding the calm. See, one of the things, the way I designed the book is, I mean, I didn't want to make 15 volumes. When I've got 35 years, like I said, in the trenches of doing this. What would be immediately accessible for people? So I wrote 20 tools in 20 chapters, each one with stories and anecdotes. And you'll, I'm going to give some of them today on our talk. And I give them away to people. I say, take my stories. These are battle tested. They work. Use them with other people. Because if you're trying to just imagine what happens, somebody says something. And what we're going to do is we're going to school you. We're going to tell you where you're wrong, how you analyze it incorrectly. We're going to bring you additional data. And everything we're doing is like that finger in the air school marm going, you're not right. And what does the person do? They just shut down, not listen to a doggone thing you say, because no one, even if they are wrong, responds to that. It's just not going to happen. So what you do is you build some kind of rapport. And you can do it with, oh, well, you're a golfer, I'm a golfer, we both like to bake. But then the person has to be self-revealing to tell you stuff about themselves. And in conflict, they're not going to. So all you have to do is listen, like that bomb detector in the town square, and as they're talking, you're going to hear these things. So now I know how to speak to you. Now you feel listened to and heard. Your amygdala calms the heck down, because never 
in the history of calming down has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they actually train cops and police officers in that. You don't walk into a volatile situation and say, calm down, calm down. All you're saying to somebody is, whoa, you're out of control. You don't know what you're doing. I do. I'm going to take power and control from you, which just freaks them out more. So you back off, let the person breathe, lets you breathe. And now all of a sudden you're an ally instead of an enemy. And all kinds of magical, cool stuff can happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds beautiful. Can we dig into some of these 20 tools? Are there a few that leap to mind in terms of having a real good bang for the buck in terms of, oh, this is not very hard. And yet it makes a world of difference in these situations. Indeed. So chapter one is speak into the ears that are hearing you. And that we just talked about. And there's more in there, obviously, than what I can do right here. But that's at least giving you a start. Let me give you an advanced technique that's not as easy. It takes a little more effort, but not very much. And everyone's going to laugh when I say this. If you're dealing with somebody difficult, fuck them. I was going to go with a V. I, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yo, what did she just say? I'm going to say, yeah, you fuck them because they can't fuck themselves. Okay. And it's V-U-C-S. And I came up with that purposefully because everyone knows what they're thinking. They thought I said, now you won't forget it. So V-U-C-S. The V is validate. The U is understand. The C is clarify. The S is summarize. It's a four-part process to diffuse anything. And when I say anything, I'm not using hyperbole. Anything. I've mediated multi-billion dollar cases. And late at night, you know what we're talking about? The CEO is asking me about his idiot brother-in-law that he's got to deal with, or a problem at work, or a problem with his private school kids coach, a lacrosse team or something like that. And how does he handle that? That's what we're talking about. So this is a human being thing. It works for all of us. And that V of the validate is the number one. It's the WD-40 of interpersonal relations. But where it gets hard is that if you can validate, sure, go ahead. I see your point of view. I can understand why you're so upset. You know, what happened to you was wrong, blah, 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 blah. But let's do the advanced class. Let's say you can't do that because you think the other person's wrong or an idiot or arrogant, self-righteous, stubborn, misguided. I mean, fill in the blank with whatever you want. How do you validate then? Here's the trick. You name the emotion. That's all you got to do. Wow, you sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm frustrated. Okay, you're frustrated. Now I got data, don't I? Okay, help me see that. I want to understand. Now I'm going to say, help me see that if they're a visual person. I want to hear more about that if they're an auditory person. I want to understand that more if they're a kinesthetic person. And I'm just listening to them and then using verbs literally verbs. And someone may say, listening to us, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. That's too much. Really? I can do it in two minutes. Or you can spend the next hour fighting with somebody, mm-hmm. much less work. And by starting with just the V, validate if you can. And if you can't, just name the emotion. Hear what they're saying. Let them talk. Then the you is the understanding part. Unless someone is completely psychotic, really ridiculously psychotic, They have a point. You may not agree. You may not understand it. 
but they have a perspective and they have a point. So dismissing them as, well, you're just an idiot or you're stupid or you're misguided or blah, blah, blah. And unless again, they're psychotic, they got a point. I want to understand. So I'm going to ask some questions. And I have all kinds of sentence stems in the book that I tell people, write them down on a post-it note and stick it by your phone or your computer, or put it in a note on your phone so you have it at the ready when something like this happens. And they're wonderful because they just let people start to talk. Then that's the you for understand. Because when you do that for somebody, they're going to feel understood. Then the C is to clarify. So ask questions. Okay, how would that work? Under what circumstances would that happen? Does that always happen? Those kind of questions. Then at the end, you can summarize. Okay, so what you're concerned about is this, and you feel like it's unfair, or you don't like the way this happened, and you're looking for this kind of a response. In a complicated situation, that'll take me 40, 45 minutes. In a more simple situation, 15, literally. Or you can spend the next two days fighting with somebody. The whole VUCS taking 15 to 45? Depends on the complexity of Mm -hmm. the problem and how well you do it, quite frankly. The better you do it, the quicker and the easier it is. And the bonus is at the end, the person's not going to hate you. They're not going to think you're awful or you're dismissive or you're disrespectful or you're offensive or all the other things that people think when they're not listened to. They're going to feel like you get it. And often the position will soften because someone's actually listening to them. And people will start to say things like, I know I said that, but you know, it's not really that bad. Mm -hmm. Only because you diffused tension, you wipe the spaghetti sauce up when it's wet, you off-gas the tank so that it wouldn't explode. Just that simple stuff is wet spaghetti sauce wiping, which maybe should be the title of the next book. (laughs) Perhaps. And can you give us some examples of these stems? Depends on the, and the situation. That's why I have them divided throughout the book because, you know, it depends on the situation. So let's say you're having to deal with somebody that is just obnoxious or, you know, all this DEI stuff we're talking about these days that you think is racist or sexist or homophobic and they're just saying stuff and you're taken aback. You don't know what to say or how to say it. You can say, did you intend to offend me with that statement? You will see backpedaling like you don't want to know. No one's going to answer, yes, I intended to offend you, right? (laughs) And if they are, then I'm going to fuck them. I'm going to say, well, you're really passionate about that. I want to understand why. (laughs) All right. Now, all of a sudden, I have another tool that I can use. And let me give your listeners what to do at the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas dinner table with that one relative that just always says nasty, stupid stuff either because they really mean it or because they just like to get your goat. And you know that happens at the table. A great one is to turn to them and say, do you know what I admire about you? Freeze. Everybody pauses. That guy will pause. Ears, boing, are going to open. And then you can say anything you want. Your passion, your curiosity, your ability to hear both sides of an issue. Whatever you want to say There's no retort to that. There's no answer to that. So it stops and everyone else around the table will smile and nod and say, thank you for shutting that down. And then you go back to eating turkey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm thinking if it's the person who just says stuff, (laughs) 
It could just be your courage. That too. <laughs> I would be feel sheepish. <laughs> I would feel sheepish and embarrassed to spout the things that you're saying. I guess you don't say it that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I guess that is something I, I would admire in, in terms of I tend not to say things that will trouble people willy-nilly <laughs> because I'm scared. <laughs> that's the whole reason why I wrote Holding the Calm yeah. for everybody because that's the wet spaghetti sauce. We don't say anything because we're scared and we don't know how to do it. But if you say to somebody, you know what I admire about you? How is that bad? Mm -hmm. It stops the conversation immediately. And then find something to fill it in with that you're so passionate or that you're so punctual. You're always on time or you always dress so well, or you bring the best potato casserole or whatever you can actually say. You can make it harder and firmer or you can make it gentle and easy, but either way it stops because nobody is going to say, oh, I don't want to hear the rest of that sentence. Mm -hmm. What I admire about you, what I respect about you, what I like about you, nobody's going to say, yeah, don't tell me. I don't want to hear. <laughs> and so it doesn't need to be at all directly related to what they've just mentioned. Exactly. It just absolutely anything. Exactly. You've got great taste in earrings. Exactly. Isn't that great? And it shuts it down because... Let's say it's something weird like that. You have great taste in earrings. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? What are you supposed to say? No, well, thanks. It just stops the conversation. So holding the calm is pragmatic. It's not kumbaya. Let's hold hands and walk through the meadow together. I mean, we live in a jungle. There's predators out there. There's real world stuff we have to deal with. So I wanted to make this book extremely practical for real world stuff. So sometimes all I want to do is get you to stop because that's all I can do. Sometimes I want to get you to understand. Sometimes I want to get to make a cold peace with you. Sometimes I want to get to make a warm peace with you. I want to correct a misunderstanding, repair a relationship, move us forward. That's sort of the spectrum. You choose whatever it is you want to do, whatever your courage wants to do, whatever your need is. Maybe you don't really you only see this person once a year at the holiday dinner, or you don't have to see your boss very much, or your neighbor, or let's say your spouse, those kinds of things. You figure out what it is you want and then apply it however you want. And then what you'll find is it's so easy that the more you do it, you'll say, oh, hot darn, those were like magic beans. They worked. Or I'm going to try something else. Oh, look at that. Hmm. That's how it actually happens. I got 30 years of doing this. And I'm telling you, the same techniques I'm teaching all of you I walk into a conference room and one guy says, give me a hundred million dollars. And the other guy says, here's a hundred thousand pounds sand. How do I settle that? Everyone's got fancy schmancy lawyers that went to Ivy League schools that are everyone's smart and they're arguing over all kinds of stuff. How do I get that settled with all the stuff I'm telling you? Because it's human beings, whether you're wearing a t-shirt or a $5,000 suit, it's exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Well, also then it, it sounds like in that particular scenario that you you highlighted in terms of there's a huge gap in, associated with the financials that, that people are willing to go for, you're not so much, it sounds like, getting into the particulars of how one arrives at an appropriate dollar amount, technically, financially speaking, so much as the human emotional side of things. Is that fair to say? Again, I hate to keep saying it depends on the circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's why I, you know, I, I 
go through that in the book so that it's not one size fits all. Let me give you another example. There's a guy named Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, and they were psychologists. And before them, Adam Smith's rational man was the way economics was built. Human beings are rational. We make rational decisions. It's all data-based. And those of us in the social sciences know that's just not true. It's just not true. Well, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky proved it mathematically and scientifically, and they won a Nobel Prize in economics for proving that. And it's absolutely brilliant how they do it. And so I'll give you a quick short example. Bananas, 25 cents each. I'd buy a couple. I'm going to make a banana bread. Bananas, four for a dollar, 35% boost in sales. Now that's just dumb. Mm-hmm. Why would it make any difference at all? And you want an extra 10% boost in sales? Limit two. Okay. That guy's going to knock my bananas. I may have two bananas that rot and get all brown and nasty and I got to throw them away. But look at that, how it works on the human brain. And people that are trying to sell us, the data people, the retailers, they know this stuff. That's why you see price points the way you do. It used to be that four ninety nine. People will see it as $4, not $5. $499, they will see it as $400, not $500. Even at $4,000 versus $5,000, that's how the human brain works. Now, we can say, oh, you wouldn't fool me with that. I look at $499, and I know it's $500. Like, I get that, right? Not your brain. Not the part of your brain that makes decisions. It will see it as, eh, that's pretty reasonable. It's about 400 bucks. No, it's not. It's 500. But that's why they keep doing it that way, because they know how we think. And you know who are masters of this kind of stuff? Casino owners. Have you ever noticed in a casino, there's no clocks, there's no windows. They want to have people not know what time it is and not have anything about the outside world. They want them completely total captive audiences and the drinks flow freely. That's not because they're being generous. They want to keep you at the table because they know the odds are they're, of course, going to win. And they've absolutely figured out mathematically how often the slot machines need to ching, 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 and have somebody win and how little they can have the win before it will hit the dopamine receptors in their brain like a chicken in a pen hitting that pellet Mm -hmm. to get that pellet out. They know it mathematically. That's how amazing it is because we take human beings and we put electrodes all over their heads and shove them in MRIs. We know all kinds of stuff about the human brain works. Scientifically, it's just that normal people haven't been able to catch up to how it is. So we still think, all right, yeah, bananas for a dollar, that's a good deal, even though I only need two. Mm -hmm. So to understand how human beings think, honestly, is a way to serve them better. Now, of course, people can manipulate, you know, a fork can be used to eat or stab you. So every tool can be used different ways. What I try to do in holding the calm is it's very ethical and there's high integrity to it. And the basis of it is service. How can I serve you better by understanding you, by being on the same wavelength as you? It's better for negotiation. It's better for problem solving. It's better for team building. This kind of stuff is used for all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, and I also love to hear a little bit more about some particular words and phrases. We heard some about matching the visual versus auditory versus kinesthetic. We heard saying, calm down, never (laughs) does the trick. And we've heard, 
you know, what I admire about you is magic. Any other magical words, phrases that you love or really hate? So I have a whole chapter on percentages, which I find so interesting. People will speak in superlatives or in generalities. We always do this. We never do that. (laughs) And 20 years ago, I've I've done a lot of, I've probably made 10,000 speeches in my life and I've consulted and trained all over the world and done a lot of this stuff. And I would have big groups and I could guinea pig and try different new things and see how they would work. And so one day I just thought of that. And so I had a large group and I said, what percentage of the time does always mean? And then I had people write it down and then we facilitated up in the front on a big flip chart. Always goes from 100% down to like 65. (laughs) Now, the people that say always is 100 think the 65ers are idiots. And the 65ers think the hundreds are extreme. How about with never? You think never is zero. Au contraire, mon cher. It is not. To a lot of people, never is 20%, maybe even 25%. Same with rarely and a lot. So I have a whole thing in there where I call it always, never, rarely, a lot. People will use those four words all the time. (laughs) And by all the time, I mean 100% of the time. (laughs) So if somebody is being adamant with you, we never do that. Let's say you want to return something. Just practice easy negotiation. And you go return something at a store. We never do that. Oh, what percentage of the time is never? Well, you know, it's like 80%. Oh. So what are the exceptions that fall into the 20%? Bing, 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 bing. Now I got information. Now I got data. People will say that, yeah, oh, we never do salary raises, or we always do salary raises or salary evaluations uh, at the end of the year. What percentage of the time is always? Now, if you get 100%, okay, now you have information and you can feel comfortable, right, it's happening at the end of the year. Well, it's like 75 or 80% of the time. Oh, So what do we do the other percentages of the time? What would be the reasons for that? Now it's a pathway in and you have information. And look at all you did. You asked a clarifying question. What percentage of the time is always, never, rarely a lot? And you'll like it. Well, it's so funny, Hesha. Well, one, that's eye-opening. Like, wow, I never would have guessed. So there's insightful and powerful right there. Thank you. I guess I'm thinking I am in the camp that always does mean 100% and never does mean 0%. And if you asked me the clarifier, what percentage is always, I'm almost insulted. Mm. Like, well, of course, of course it's 100%. That's why I said always. (laughs) Otherwise I would have said often or frequently or most of the time. Isn't that great? And so, (laughs) well, so now I'm intrigued. Is that question doesn't uh, rub people the wrong way or do you have alternative variations you recommend? Well, you know, what's interesting is sometimes it does, and then let's say it does. Really? And then you ask somebody else, what percentage is always to you? And guaranteed, even with CPAs, even with accountants who are very numbers-oriented, it will vary. Mm -hmm. And then somebody else will say it. So if you're afraid you've got somebody like that, you ask a couple people in a room. And it's a technique that I use often if I have to do large groups, or if I'm meeting with a board, for example, and I've got a bunch of people, I don't want to say to people, we all have different perspectives and we all think about things differently and we have to be open to, I mean, that's like nauseous. No one wants to hear that kind of garbage. But I say, you know what? Who wants to do a fun little exercise? No one's going to say no. And I do this little exercise and you can do it on one of the words. I would do it on at least two, or you can do all four. 
And then as people go around the room and they say different percentages, then somebody like you, Pete, will go, huh? What? No. You think that always is 80%? How can you think that? How can you not think that? And then all of a sudden, a new interesting conversation opens up. And it's a way of having people see for themselves. We are very different. We think very differently. It's not just the visual, auditory, kinesthetic, introvert, extrovert. Baskin and Robbins have 32 flavors for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of different things that people want. And even something silly. Let's say I'm in a, on a, I'm in a more casual group and I want to do an icebreaker thing. I may say, okay, choose, salty or sweet. And sometimes people go, huh, what? If you had to choose potato chips, french fries, or cake cookies, you will see people divide up instantly into their salty sweet teams. Instantly. And then you know what kind of happens? That other guy across the room who I hate, he's a salty and I'm a salty. He's a sweet, I'm a sweet. Are you kidding me? How can I have anything in common with that guy? And what if we're the only two in the room that both think that? Oh God, now I got commonality with that guy? It begins to bridge some of that. I'll give one more thing. Just because I've done so much of this, I experiment. And then I, you know, I come up with new ways of trying to make these points because people will get it better if they can get it themselves. It's the whole teach them to fish, don't give them a fish thing. So I once did this just on a lark, literally on a lark. I was on um, a big Zoom conference call probably 10 years ago. I mean, I was doing Zoom a long time ago and I had all these people and they looked super bored and disinterested. And I thought, okay, I've got to get these people attached. So I said, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And everyone went through it. All of a sudden, people started having conversations because, oh, the vanillas are purists or the chocolates like it to be decadent or some of them wanted it, the gooey, chocolatey, ribbony, nutty, rocky roadie thing. And then people couldn't stop talking. And it created this commonality between people. And at the end of the training, you know, when they did the evaluations and they're all saying, oh, it was so great. What was your favorite part of it? A huge percentage said the stupid little ice cream exercise that I literally made up on the fly. Mm. And that's because it was so personal to them. This is me. See me. Hear me. Validate me. And now let me bond with you. I don't care what I bond over. It's ice cream. It's a sports team. It's a politician. It's a food restaurant. Human beings have this clannish desire to bond and connect with each other. And when you create and foster ways for that to happen, I'm telling you, barriers fall down, things break down. It doesn't have to be this big, huge, fancy, schmancy stuff. In fact, the big, huge, fancy, schmancy stuff doesn't really work. It's too big. Mm -hmm. It's really the small, I have a whole chapter in the book that I call uh, small winnable victories, that you don't solve problems with big, huge things. You solve them brick by brick, stone by stone. You dissolve problems from the outside so that they melt in. You create commonalities to where I really thought I hated you and you were an idiot, but turns out you're not so bad. And I'll give your listeners a quick, easy, easy way to deal with somebody that you absolutely dislike or despise, and you got to deal with them. Look at them. Ask yourself one question. Would they pull my kid out of a burning car? 
And if the answer to that is yes, which 95% of the time it will be, they're not so bad. There's something redemptive. And if in fact they did pull your kid out of a burning car, you'd have a very different relationship with them. So we start from that place and it just lets walls start to come down. (laughs) So solutions can be found. Team building can happen. The stuff works. I'm telling you, it works. You know, it's so funny. It's, it's like, as I think about that question and, and, and folks I might be at odds with, it's like my bias <laughs> is tilting me or slanting me. So it's just like, okay, statistically, yeah, nine, maybe 95% is probably the overall view is like, but I'm really not so sure about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's marvelous. That's marvelous because it means that you're demonizing him or her unless and until they do something redemptive. And they may not. So you pretend. And if you can pretend, it's like the placebo effect for your mind. If you pretend that they actually did do something redemptive, all it does is give you more avenues and ways to deal with them because. In Alcoholics Anonymous, they have this great saying that says, and I'm not sure if they originated or not, but I've I've been told that, that resentment is poison that you drink, but expect the other guy to die. Mm -hmm. Think about how amazing that is. Poison that you drink, but expect the other guy to die. And what happens with this paradigm shifting technique I'm teaching you is it stops the poison and you get to a point where You're still a jackass, but it don't bother me anymore. You don't affect me anymore. You can't harm me anymore. There's tremendous freedom and power in that. Tremendous. Tremendous. That's good. Thank you. Well, Hasha, tell me, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I wanted to remind people, I created a website, Holding the Calm, that's C-A-L-M, calm, holdingthecalm.com. And my goal with this is to just get this out into the world because I feel like we were all cavemen and cavewomen shoving food in our face. And I want to give people a fork, a knife, a spoon, chopsticks. Mm -hmm. So we have better ways to handle things. So I put all my podcasts on there. I'm doing webinars and I'm just putting everything free. Just download it and take it. And I'm doing these little one minute videos. So People don't have time to, you know, we're all so busy. So it's a quick one little minute video on a little topic with one of these techniques or one of these ideas that you can like or forward it on to someone else and say, hey, this might be good for you too. So I have that and I have a discussion guide in the back of the book. And originally the folks wanted me to sell that as a separate workbook and I refused. I said, no, I'm giving this away for free and I want it in the back of the book so that if you're an organization or a company, or a church, or a homeowners association, or a family, any group of people, and everyone gets the book, you can go through the discussion guide, which is like five pages, so it's nothing. And you just start asking questions of each other, then it makes it real. And it makes it to be, what percentage is always for you? What percentage is it for the other guy? Really? How can you think always is 80%? I don't understand that. Then you'll learn something about them. They'll learn something about you. It creates this team building bonding thing that actually creates a little bit of Teflon against conflict, which is really 
pretty magical. So that's why I did it that way, because my goal is to just get it out there and help people learn to do this better, because we don't, we don't teach this in school. We've got people running around shooting people because they're so angry and mad and, you know, writing nasty things on social media because there's no off-gassing valve. So anyway, this is my little tiny contribution within my sphere of influence to try to help make the world a little bit more harmonious. So that's my message. And if it resonates with you guys, please take it, use it. All right. Thank you. Now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, well, I'm a major Trekkie. So I love Captain Jean-Luc Picard said, it's only impossible until it's not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I like that. And Uh I would... I would tell you, I have one more that I put in the book. Actually, both of those are in the book. My husband has a friend who's a Navy SEAL. And, you know, Navy SEALs, as part of their training, have to tread water for like ever. And they, they're supposed to do it like until they die, is the concept. And so my husband asked this guy, so how long can you tread water? He said, I don't know. I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and I think about that, at least for myself and for everyone else, how big can I get? How smart can I get? How loving can I get? How forgiving can I get? How graceful can I get? I don't know. I'm not dead yet. And I feel like if we all sort of be continuous learners, which everyone has to be listening to your podcast, they're continuous learners and they're committed, awesome people, or they wouldn't be listening to this kind of a podcast. How big is big? I don't know. Not dead yet. So let's get big, everybody. That's the goal. Hopefully that's my little inspirational speech for the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Ah, well, I love the Daniel Kahneman, almost Tversky thing. I love this one, it's a chapter in the book I have on politeness and civility matters because there was a study done in England, literally scientifically about does politeness actually get you anything? Can it actually work? And it does. And they have figured out, neuroscientists have found that there's 187 cognitive biases in our brains. And one of them is called the bias of reciprocity. And again, unless you're a sociopath and you're just like a normal person, which is the vast majority of us, if I do something for you, you kind of feel compelled to do something back for me. You get invited to someone's house for dinner, you bring a bottle of wine or flowers. There's this, I don't want to be in debt to you. I want to do that. That's what politeness does. Simply being polite and civil engenders politeness and civility back. And I loved that study. All right. And could you share a favorite book? Oh, God, I have so many. Should I be a dork and talk about my Star Trek books that I read like candy? (laughs) I consume them like candy. (laughs) I'm intrigued. What's the the dorkiest Star Trek book you own? Oh, God, they're all marvelous. They're just... I just got done finished uh, reading one on uh, Catherine Janeway called Mosaic by Jerry Taylor. That was just fantastic. I really like that one. But I read a lot of neuroscience stuff. I loved, I just got done with uh, Eric Barker's uh, Plays Well with Others, mm-hmm. which was just fantastic, you know, really marvelous. I read uh, Influenced by Robert Schialdi, of course, is marvelous. Uh, the Ken Blanchard books are always good because they're trying to make the world a better place. So I have the, I have the nonfiction stuff that I enjoy, and then I have my guilty pleasures. <laughs> okay. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? Holdingthecalm.com. It's got mm-hmm. everything you need. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Ah, oh, what a great question that is. The Navy SEAL analogy. 
I would suggest that what you do is write down on a piece of paper why you're good at your job. What is it that makes you good at your job? And then tomorrow, do it better. All right. Hesha, thanks. This has been a treat. I wish you lots of luck and fun in your conflict resolving. (laughs) Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really loved Hesha's fantastic question. Did you intend to offend me with that statement? As well as, do you know what I admire about you? Woo! So much good stuff. I think those will be entering my lexicon for use again and again, and I hope yours too. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items that we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP821. Hope to catch you next time, and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.